Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us for this half of the hour, Darsh Mashru and our host, Tom Dupree. And we've got all sorts of things going on in the market and the economy right now. Take it away, Tom. So back in the 80s, when interest rates were very high, I worked at a place in Houston called Rotan Mosley. Well, the group we're listening to is also from Houston, Texas. And uh, so one time I walked around the corner from the bond department to go back where the brokers were. And there's this little guy standing there with a beard down to his belly. And it was um, Billy Hill or Dusty Gibbons, one of those guys from ZZ Top. And uh, his his broker was one of the brokers at, at Rotan Mosley. And uh, frequently we would see people. Uh, one time I looked up and there's Akeem Olajuwon. And another time I looked and there's this bow-legged guy and it was Earl Campbell so we would have celebrities in our office that were local people uh, that you know would end up in our office because they had an account there it's pretty interesting and this of course is ZZ Top um, from the album called Trace Hombres which kind of put them on the map and that's three men, three fellas in, yeah. is that what that three is? Three guys. Are three guys. Something. All right. This is a an article by a guy named Jason Zweig, who works at the Wall Street Journal. It's the worst bond market since 1842. That's the good news. Now, I'm going to tell you that for me, it does not feel like the worst bond market since 1842 because I was in the bond business when interest rates on longer municipals went from 6% in 1978 to around 14% in 1981-82. So while they may have some statistical measure that says it's the worst bond market, it hasn't dropped the most by far. It may have dropped the quickest by far, but not the most. I I saw bond markets that have dropped a lot more. But the difference today is that most people that are participants in the the business right now have never seen – they weren't around in the early 80s when um, the market was doing what it did – they weren't in the business. They didn't see it happen. I did. I know how bad it can get. And I kind of think that, uh, you know, Jason's wig is saying here that the four-decade-long bull market in bonds is over. I'm not so sure that that's the case. Um, I think we've had about a – we've had a big backup, certainly on the long end, and it, it is in bear market territory. For longer bonds, I don't think it's quite as bad for your shorter-term paper. Yeah, so at the end of uh, April 30th, the long bond was down 18%. Yeah, that's a big drop. It's down even more than that now, I think. Right. So, um, and here in the last few days, it's it's rallied some. Yeah. Um, the 30-year you're talking about. The 30-year, yes. 
So, yes, as you said, you know, uh, I mean, this is, I wasn't there in the 80s, but I've heard that, you know, it was pretty bad in the early 80s. Um, but this year has also been extremely uh, rough because not only has the bond market uh, dropped, but even the stock market has. And usually what we've seen over the last few decades, you know, bonds have acted as safe havens when the stock market is dropping. And uh, over the last four months since this year, five months since this year began, uh, you know, there hasn't been a place to park your money that, you know, that hasn't uh, dropped outside of cash, basically. So um, it's been a tough year. But what's interesting, and I think something that he mentions in the article, is that most years when... Uh, the bond market has dropped this rapidly. Uh, bonds do tend to stabilize, you know, by the end of the year. So you'll see huge drops like we did this year. You saw a similar drop in the early 80s. Uh, you saw a big drop in 1994. Right. Um, but uh, people that held on, or in some cases even... Uh, bought during that drop uh, you know they did okay because bonds as you know as the whole year goes by we haven't seen you know major drawdown like we have so far this year so we don't know what will happen the future is obviously unknown we don't know how this year is going to end but uh, what we witnessed is unusual it's not normal but isn't that what our careers in this business sort of are a lot of normal punctuated by unusual and the unusual part is usually the part that it makes sense to take some action right and uh you know i would simply argue that in the business we sort of live through that which is usual knowing that at some point, we'll have unusual. Right. Um, you know, one of the reasons that we have a bond market that's been in the tank is because of inflation. Um, now, I always assume everybody understands this, but of course they don't. If inflation is at, say, 3 or 4%, then in order for you to earn on your fixed income investments more than the rate of inflation, that means to earn enough money to make up for what inflation has taken away from you in purchasing power, you need to have an interest rate on your bond position higher than the rate of inflation. So if inflation's 4%, after tax, you need to be getting around 6 just to keep up. Uh, lately, we have not had that. We haven't had an interest rate on bonds that will outpace inflation. Now, um, yesterday, I think it was um, two days maybe ago, uh, you, had a, uh, you had a reading... Uh, as I recall, and it's a little unclear because 
I think sometimes the reporting is not as accurate as it should be. But as I read it, you had a reading of three-tenths of 1% for April. They showed a producer reading much higher, but the CPI was only up three-tenths. That's certainly, if you annualize three-tenths of 1% for a month, that's 3.6% during the year. That's a lot lower than eight and change, which is what we had. And and I think if the market was convinced that eight or seven percent was going to be the ongoing inflation rate, like they were in the early '80s, you would see interest rates a lot higher than what they are right now. But they're not. There's a lot of reasons for that. I don't. I, regardless of what the Fed says that we may try to cut inflation by raising interest rates they can only raise them so far because then you're now beginning to put the cost of borrowing money for the u.s treasury uh, a lot higher than it has been right that's true and uh today there's almost four times as much debt uh on the balance sheet of the treasury uh than there was uh, back in the 70s and early 80s uh, so it is. It would be a, a precarious situation if interest rates were to go up because we know that the government has to borrow a, a, quite a bit uh, in order to keep funding its, uh, you know, budget. So um, the market does not, you know, as you said, the market does not think that high inflation is here to stay. I think when you look at the projections of what the, the bond market is telling you, uh, it expects inflation to be higher than the previous decade over the next decade, but still not as high as what it is now. So I think there's an assumption that structurally something has changed and inflation is not going to be as low, uh, but, uh, you know... It'll be muted. It'll be muted, yes. And, and the reason for that is that supply related issues and a lot of inflation is the result of supply related issues where new supply at some point at least in theory say more oil could come onto the market or you know the supply chains that are kind of in limbo right now they could get resolved Uh, so i think the assumption is that yes there are supply related issues right now but that could get solved in six months or a year Uh, it's not going to take the next uh, 10 years to solve them Uh, but something has changed. It's not, you know, like the last decade. Now, the bond market last year was not pricing in this inflation. So the bond market itself, again, could be wrong when it comes to, it may end up being that the bond bull market is not over. And, you know, next time we have a recession, we have low, extremely low rates again and, you know, threats of deflation again. But as of now, you know, we can just go by the, the data that we are seeing. And the data is saying that perhaps inflation over the course of this decade will be a little higher than the last decade. Not, not just a little higher, perhaps 40, 50% higher when you, you know, the difference between 3% and 2% is, uh, you know, 50% basically. One of the things that I have noticed in my years of doing this, and especially in the last 15, 20 years when rates have been a lot lower, the bond market can be very complacent when they think nothing's, wrong and so it could be surprised as it arises from complacency 
But when everybody's paying attention to stuff, like they are now, then it can be a better predictor because more eyes are on it. Right. And the bond market is probably maybe in some ways a better predictor than the stock market. Why? Because the bond market essentially, if somebody is willing to buy a 10-year bond at a yield of 3%, they're making an assumption that interest rates are going to be fairly stable for the next 10 years and that inflation is going to be fairly stable. Otherwise, it's not a good bet, not a not a good uh, thing to do. And and my bet is, or that, or my observation is, that the bond market is a very good pricing mechanism when it's paying attention to what money's going to cost out into the future. And if you can know what money's going to cost in the future, you have a way to price equities, stocks, which are in a sense like a bond in that they are a long dated kind of flow of funds from earnings, which are, of course, unpredictable, but expected to come in. Right. Yeah, so the the value of a stock, as you just said, is basically the the present value of all its future cash, cash flows. Same thing with a bond. Yes, discounted to the present. So that discount rate that the market uses is, you know, basically the, the prevailing interest rate. Right. Uh, so that's where it, it gets its cue from the bond market. Yeah. Mike Johnson has just stepped in. He was in a meeting, and we had to go ahead and start the show, but he is now joining us. So welcome, Mike Johnson. Hello. The <clears throat> interesting thing on uh, the bond, uh, year-to-date on, on bonds, especially with, you know, if you have a 401K, you have, you know, your your two or three, maybe four or five bond allocations, and uh, there's some, there's a, a few funds that are typically always in 401ks, and they're put there as kind of the safe haven, if you will. And what we've seen year to date, some of the longer uh, longer duration bonds, you know, the funds, individual bonds, whatever, are down 10 plus percent year to yeah. date. And <clears throat> you know, the question for investors is, you know, do you stay in those do you move to shorter duration or what what do you it's do late. it's it's kind of late and the and you all may have talked about this before but the 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 rate of interest rate increases this year the rate that the that they've gone up uh that the yields have gone up uh has been extremely fast um yeah, almost unprecedentedly fast. And what you don't want to do is sell at the bottom, so to speak. Um, if you did have a recession uh, come about, you could have yields go back down because you have that flight to quality. Sure. Um, and so, explain that a little bit. That's a lot of that's a lot of jargon for the average bear. So, <clears throat> flight to quality is you sell riskier assets by safer aka you sell stocks buy bonds and so if if more people are buying bonds then the yield goes down because the price is going up you have that inverse relationship so if if we did have a recession and you had people selling stocks 
meaning they're buying bonds, you could have yields go back down, which are good for your bond funds uh, in, in terms of price. You could you could have appreciation in the fund from this point. Um, and so you have to be careful of, you know, acting on emotion. And a lot of times, you know, you think of emotion as stock market volatility. Well, that's bond market volatility too. And so the bonds still serve a purpose and you need to be careful of acting emotionally when you see and a 10% move in a bond, especially a treasury bond, you know, a risk-free asset is a big, big move, major move. Um, and so emotionally, when you see that, your knee-jerk reaction is to sell. Just like if a stock goes down 30%, the knee-jerk reaction is to sell. Um, that may or may not be the right move uh, because it is an asset class that serves a purpose. Um, so it, with all that being said, it depends on your situation. It depends on what your goals are. Um, there are ways to navigate through this kind of market um, and hopefully try to take advantage of the volatility. And I'll take the chance right now to, to tell the listeners that We've had some confusion. There's another company in town that is, we're related to them because we're family, but we are not affiliated with them business-wise, and it's called Dupree Mutual Funds. They are a tax-free bond fund, and we have absolutely no affiliation with them business-wise, although there is a family relationship, and uh, we are retirement-focused so we're more of a full-service registered investment advisor. Um, since we've been talking so much about bonds, I wanted to, to clear that up because there, there is confusion from time to time. Adarsh, you were going to say something? Uh, yeah, I was just going to uh, add that, uh, you know, unlike uh, stocks, uh, when it comes to uh, treasury bonds, you know, they are risk-free so as mike said that they they do have a purpose and a move in a treasury bond uh is not the same as the move in a stock because there is no risk uh technically at least there is no risk of default there has never been uh, a default so uh, it is tempting you know to through think that this is going to act like a stock and you know you can see stocks drop way more and bonds, but usually uh, moves like this are unusual. It's but not impossible. I remember one time, 1986, when I was at Rotan Mosley, we brought a bond issue. We owned a bunch of bonds. There's 620s on the long end, 20 year bonds. They came at par. And by the time he got rid of all of them from that deal, like in six weeks, they were trading at 82. Wow. I mean, I've seen, uh, listen, I think a lot of these guys, they write stuff and they do some research, but I've done a little of research of my own. And I mean, you know, we've had bond market backups before. It's not the first time we've ever had one. Sorry about that kind of loud entry there. 
But I got to cut you off somehow. That's one way to get him to stop so, talking, So you right? know where it switches from one song to the other. We played that. You, you didn't hear it, did you? Uh-uh. All right, we got to go. You're listening to the Tom no, Dupree we Show. We got 20 seconds. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> we'll be back in just a few minutes with more of the show. Stay tuned. I was talking about how I saw them at Rotan Mosley. Just keep catching you up, Mike. <laughs> new songs or anything and you just kind of sitting around there and he said yeah well let's play it i didn't like it much at the time but now i love it (laughs) (laughs) well being you down on your luck and you ain't got a buck london you're a goner Even London Bridge has fallen down and moved to Arizona. Now I know why. And I'll substantiate the rumor that the English sense of humor is drier than the Texas sand. And you can put up your dukes or you can bet your boots. I'm leaving just as fast as I can I wanna go home with the armadillo Country music from Amarillo and Abilene Friendliest people and the prettiest women you've ever seen It's cold over here. Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us, Adarsh Mashru, Mike Johnson, and our host, Tom Dupree. Okay, I guess that's my cue. Usually so is. That's Gary P. Nunn, N-U-N-N. And he wrote this song, which is known by some as the Texas National Anthem. Uh, he was part of the outlaw movement which had Jerry Jeff Walker who's sitting right there with him Willie Nelson Guy Clark uh, in a loose way Waylon Jennings yeah he's part of it Um, and this was a song that got played a lot at the Armadillo World Headquarters in Austin, Texas and also at a place called Lukenbach Texas Sometimes they would get together in a place called Terlingua, which is down on the Rio Grande, and they had the Terlingua chili cook-off. Now, this was during the 70s and 80s, and Texas was a very fun place to be at that time. You'd be on Southwest Airlines, and the waitress, or the flight flight attendants would start singing, yelling and stuff. It was fun. But this is uh, Gary P. Nunn, who wrote that song when he was in London. But he was talking about missing Texas. Let it play for a minute. And go down to Marble Arch Station. Good for you. Good for you. Because when a Texan fancies, he'll take his chance. Chances will be taken. Let's change the chords. <laughs> 
And them limey eyes, they were eyeing the prize Some people call manly footwear They said you're from down south And when you open your mouth You always seem to put your foot there You know, I think it's interesting. One of the comments on this post, it says, I wish people loved America like Texans love Texas. Good point. Okay, I'm just sharing a little bit of my uh, wide-ranging background with you. Okay. And, and music taste. <laughs> you want to go with that one? All right. What are the chances I retire and the stock market crashes? Oh, All that's my plans a good are one. upside down. I want to draw on my 401k and renovate my new home. What options do I have? This is from a, a, a website called The Moneyist, which I think looks like, what is it? Uh, market Watch. Yeah, Market Watch. All right, go for it. So part of the question this person's asking, just kind of forget about it. Um, I, I don't want to focus on this particular question, but it's the sentiment behind the question. I just retired. The market's going down. I had these plans. What do I do? That's that's essentially what what it's asking, and I'm sure a lot of people out there are asking that same question. Um, a lot of different ways we can address this, but um, think of it. Categorize your expenses, if you will, or your goals, you know, categorize, you have your needs, that's your basic living expenses, you know, uh, utilities, gasoline, food, you have your wants, that's, you want to travel, you want to do this in retirement, you want to do that. And then you have your wishes, which are, I want to leave a legacy for beneficiaries, I want to leave it to a a charity, whatever it may be. So before you retire, as you're starting to think about it, you should already have these three categories kind of solidified in your mind. Um, the needs, the needs are what they are. I mean, that you need it. Um, might be some flexibility in the spending there, but, but probably not much. Um, the wants, the wants can be a little more flexible. So this person in particular says, I want, and he, he, he used that word, I want to draw on my 401k and renovate my new home. Well, that want can still be there in a year. Um, that, that want doesn't have to occur right now. Um, the, when, you, when you're looking at your, a, a pot of money that you're going to draw on for potentially 30-plus years, um, there has to be discipline about the withdrawals, um, how quickly it happens, what the rate of withdrawal is, and what the source of the withdrawal is. Do you take it from taxable money, from pre-tax, from a Roth IRA, all these different things? All of that, they're all um, variables, but what that means is they're all options. You have options on when to spend the money, how much to spend, how to invest each piece, each pot of money. Um, all of this should be taken into account. Um, so 
the when you're looking at the overall investment uh, approach, you know, the, you know that with this guy's you know s- situation, was it invested correctly? I, I spoke I spoke with someone yesterday, and um, it was a family member that had invested uh, outside outside of us. Uh, it was a family member that lives out of the state um, had invested some money uh, that was short term money, um, you know, roughly a, a two year investment horizon. Well, they invested that in mid December, and the market's doing what the market's doing now. So the account is lower than when it started, and they need this money in about two years. And he was asking, he said, I know you all aren't managing it, but I'm just looking for advice. I just want a trusted uh, advisor. What do you say? So, well, without looking at it, I don't know. But, you know, maybe it was invested correctly. Maybe it wasn't. Um, Because, A, a two-year investment horizon is a short-term horizon. Um, And, they may or may not have been invested correctly to begin with. May have had too much in equities because the market had been going up for all these years. It's going to keep doing that. So know what the use of the money, the, the, the length of time before you're going to need the money and make sure it's invested appropriately for that length of time. Um, you know, if, it, if it's two-year money, it doesn't need to be 100% equities. If the market goes up for those two years, great. But if you have, you know, short-term volatility and you need the money, you got a big problem. Um, so I, I gave him some advice. Um, it was basically <laughs> take a look at what you have. Maybe you reshuffle a few things, um, but it it needs you need to have a plan. You you can't. You, you can't um, put something, especially when there's a spending need or a spending want, you can't put something like that on autopilot and just hope it works out. Well, you should never invest money that you're going to need right away in equities. And one could argue that buying equities is always going to involve risk, risk of loss of principle. It comes with the territory because you're dealing with, number one, a market for equities, which is driven by supply and demand. Real simple. And if supply gets more than demand, the prices go down. If demand gets less than supply, the prices go down. The only thing that drives a market higher, when a market drifts, it goes down. But a market, the only way that makes it go higher is it drives higher. There's buying. There's the animal spirits of capitalism being unleashed the profit motive fear is what drives it lower or lack of conviction right so a lot of people are feeling what this guy's asking about maybe not in the exact scenario but it's my goodness i've worked for x number of years i had this plan that i want to do this and do that well maybe you still can um, but maybe the time frame needs to be adjusted. Maybe adjustments need to be made. Maybe you need a plan to begin with. You haven't ever formalized that. Um, so you do have flexibility. You do have options. 
Um, and it's, it's important to have somebody that you can talk to and work through some of those things and, and somebody that's going to be upfront and honest with you about it. Right. One of the things that I have said to a lot of people, uh, is that, This notion, and it's a notion that our industry sort of rides on, but it, it needs to be questioned every now and then. The notion that you can set a pile of money aside and live on it for the rest of your life. There's a whole lot of things that could counteract that and keep it from happening. That you can live 10, 20, 30 years without generating any income from employment or, or some kind of activity that you do and just expect a pot of money to provide for you forever. I'm not saying it can't happen, but even the best laid plans don't always work the way they should. And sometimes people take uh, undue risk with the money uh, given the idea that we've got to make this money produce. Right. I'll give you an example. When I first started this company in 2003, that's been 19 years ago. I've been in the business for 44 years. About 2004, maybe 05, I can't remember. This man came in. This was after the crash of 0102. But he said, I've got my uh, plan. I think it was from a major institution around here, 403B. And I've been taking X amount of money for X amount of years. And I think I can do it forever. And he said, 02 and 01 and 02 came along. And the pot of money that I was taking it from is now half and I'm still and I don't know what happened to me. He had made 13% a year for like 20 years. And so he extrapolated that that was going to keep going. And he said therefore I can safely take out 10% a year of the corpus. And the corpus was a matter of a million 3. And he didn't want to go back to work. He wanted to fix what was broken. So the million three was now worth about $680,000. And he's taken out still 130,000 bucks a year, expecting it to go back to a million three. And he was in shock because he, his plan hadn't worked. Mm -hmm. Now I've lived a career of all kinds of plans, not working. Because if you're in this business, that's what you get to deal with. This isn't the beer business. This isn't the car business. This isn't, you know, being a school teacher where you put in your 30-year working for the steel company or working for a car company, and you know you're going to get paid, and you know you're going to put money in your 401K, and all everything's going to work like it. It's not the way this business works. So I am qualified to talk to people about things happening that you didn't plan on. 
Problem is, there's a lot of people who are very risk-averse. And they spend their whole life trying to get risk out of their lives. Which is not a bad idea, actually. But what I saw in my life was that that's not the nature of how things work. And risk will come and find you, even when you thought you had eliminated it. So, the thing that I have found better is, you know, whoever you are, wherever you are, you should still have some kind of skill that could be used to uh, provide for you if everything else didn't work. That's right. And, you know, I'm going to tell you something. Today, people are coming up with stuff. Blogging in this day and age of blogging and influencing and and uh, uh, doing a podcast about somebody's dog. I mean, you know, there's lots of ways to monetize what you do. What are you looking at me like that for? I'm laughing about the uh, we had a dog take off on us today. Out of, we have an office dog, and she decided to go on a runabout downtown. <laughs> that could have been a really good blog if we'd had like a GoPro on her collar. That's what. That's why I was laughing. So uh, this guy who lives in Texas, I'm on his thing. What thing? Uh, well, it's you. I don't know what it is. Is it a text thread? Yeah, or? he sends me stuff on uh, on WhatsApp. Okay. He, he's kind of a promoter type guy. And I accidentally sent him this picture of Nelly. The dog that got away today. Yeah, that I took the other day and in the car. Nice dog, bro. You thought about starting a TikTok or YouTube about your dog? <laughs> no way. Yeah, and, and this is something that dude would do. And I, I wrote, not yet. <laughs> but, you know, people think that way. Yeah. You know, I mean, people aren't doing TikTok just for fun they get paid for eyes and if you do one thing that goes viral it can i know a 14 year old kid that's making six figures from tiktok stuff yeah so don't tell me there's no way to support yourself yeah it's just not true well in long term that's the you talk about risk that's the biggest risk is is not learning not improving yourself uh over a long period of time not having um a commodity that you've created in yourself a skill uh that's that's worth something to someone or is something that you can do on your own um but that that's one of the biggest risks that you can have because that is especially a younger person that's the biggest asset that you have which is time you have time for if we're talking about investments you have time for investments to compound and you have time to learn and get better at something because your long-term earning potential is exponential that's a compounding mechanism too yeah right so you know risk like you said i love what you said you said risk has a way of always finding you, even if you're trying to take out all the risk in your life. And that's absolutely true because risk is relative. You know, the, 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 the move up or down is relative to whatever amount of risk you're taking at that time. If you're, if you're a bond investor and you have a 10% drop, that's massive. That's right. If you, if you're a stock investor, it's a 10% drop. Well, that's, a normal day another thing i have found 
you are at the greatest risk when you think you're at the lowest. And sometimes you're at the lowest risk when you think you're at the greatest. I don't know why that is true, but it's, I think there's an element of our mind that processes risk differently than what actual reality is. We get this view of sort of how bad things are when actually they may be quite good. And the thing that's happening, we have a uh, resistance to viewing something that we view bad as good. Mm-hmm. Sure. Or something that seems like it's a bad event, we have a hard time seeing it as an opportunity. But I have found that when I can do that in my life and use the events that seem negative to try to make it positive, that it typically works out pretty well. And if it doesn't, at least I feel good about myself. (laughs) Well, risk has a way of being sneaky, too. Um, I Actually, uh, a a current client, uh, they have a 401k that is is not manageable by us right now. But um, she sent over some things, and, you know, her – uh, 401k over the last few years because of certain areas that have grown as much as they had, there was risk that had come in there. And this market kind of woke woke them up a little bit. And she said, hey, can you take a look at this for me? Um, and so uh, uh, an investment portfolio risk can can sneak in there just by the, the nature of markets. Drift, and, style drift. Style drift. You have to be aware of what's going on. Be aware and keep our phone number close at hand, 859-233-0400. We'd be happy to answer any questions you might have about something you heard on the show today or questions about your portfolio. We'd be happy to take a look at that as well. It's an important time to know what you own, and it's an important time to have a lot of ears that can help you navigate this. We appreciate you listening today. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with the Darsh Mashroom, Mike Johnson, and Tom Dupree. Go to our website, dupreefinancial.com, if you want to hear more of the Tom Dupree Show. We appreciate you listening. Talk to you next week. Turn the heat on.